Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 913. To begin the program, David Lorla is joined by Joe Block, broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Pirates. David and Joe talk about how spring training is going in Florida so far, meeting Ernie Harwell, and the Blue Jays' controversial plans for their radio coverage this year. Joe also shares his thoughts on some talented Pirates players who may have a future in broadcasting, including Stephen Brault. Stephen will be a broadcaster. He wants to be a broadcaster. I think he's going to pitch in the big leagues for a while, so we got some time. But he is so immensely talented. Obviously, we, we know about the singing and his musical ability. He is so fun to be around, thoughtful and funny. So uh, he really could be an excellent broadcaster. Following that, Jay Jaffe and RJ McDaniel get together to discuss Shohei Otani mania after they both wrote pieces on him earlier this week. The two-way phenom is enticing us once again with what he could do when healthy, on the heels of a rough season that he felt was, in his words, pathetic. Jay and RJ talk about things like comparing Otani's unique hype to that of Bo Jackson, and how this exciting potential gives us something to look forward to after a long winter. To the extent that it's rooted in reality, we can see with our own eyes the kind of power that he's capable of and the kind of pitching that he's capable of in these little fragmentary snippets in spring training. And as long as we can enjoy that and as long as we can sustain this belief without it being completely contradicted by the reality of life, then I think it's worth doing. Fangraphs Audio is brought to you by our listeners and supporters. If you'd like to help us keep doing what we do, can I recommend you check out the Fangraphs.com store? It includes our new coffee mug, which we are doing another run of. They're available for pre-order again and will start shipping April 2nd, so go check it out. Enjoy the show. Hey, baseball fans. I am David Lorla. My guest is Joe Block, broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Joe, we are talking on Wednesday, and you actually have the day off. Hopefully, you are kicking back and enjoying yourself doing something in uh, sunny Florida. Yeah, I went to uh, Mayaka State Park. I hope I'm pronouncing that right uh, today and uh, saw an alligator. First time I've seen a gator not in captivity before, so that was pretty cool. Uh, wasn't too close to it, but yeah, I got out, hiked a little bit, uh, saw saw some wetlands, and and came home and did some work today. So yeah, good day. Some work, actual work on an off day. A broadcaster's job never ends, right? Well, there's a lot of preparation, David. You know, I mean, to go into the season, um, you know, just trying to get familiar with uh, our players, and um, more of what I'm doing right now is is getting familiar with the other teams and. And just trying to get, um, I was watching the Reds-Royals game right now, uh, just before you started this up. So, you know, just trying to get a feel for the other teams, especially in the division and what's going on with them. And uh, so, you know, I can be roaring on April 1st and, uh, and, and ready to go. And yesterday you got familiar with an Atlanta Braves team that was playing, based on the few innings that I listened to, pretty pretty badly. And I'm not sure, Joe, that we couldn't fill this entire segment uh, just talking about that game, it was it was pretty strange. Well, I mean, anytime you watch a spring training game, I mean, look at the Pirates. Uh, they, I think, they banged out 17 hits. They were a strike away from throwing a no hitter, 
And then you have the three-time division champion Braves who were at home, so they had mo- most of their lineup there. And I-, I would say that Brian Snitker, who has managed, I would think, for what, about 40 years in the Braves system or coach, manager coach, that's probably the worst game he's ever seen, uh, his team play. I mean, uh, you know, it, but that's just spring training. That's uh, that's the goofiness of baseball. You never know what you're going to see. But, yeah, we saw a guy try to take off on on an infield fly, we saw a cavalcade of uh, uh, errors of, of, you know, throwing to the wrong base or, you know, things, things of that nature. But, you know, it's, uh, it's spring training. We, we say that, you know, I, I know Pirate fans, I'll, I'll include myself, are very excited that, that they're playing better this spring than they did last spring because it portended a, a very poor start to their season. And I guess, you know, one could say the whole season, but they played a little better toward the end. But, uh, you know, I, I think it just gives you that optimism that, okay, well, they're playing better baseball. Maybe they'll get off on the right foot. Uh, whereas when you watch one team play one game, it doesn't really give you any feel, especially in the spring. You mentioned the infield fly rule. That almost helped complete the, the no-hitter. It was the, the final batter, of course, that got the hit. Final batter, I should say, after the the – a runner forgot what an infield fly rule is. It took off. The runner then, the one Braves run then scored on a uh, a Bach, I think. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, the bases were loaded, and then uh, uh, the pirate pitcher balked, and that's how they got their run. And the, the ball fell in in front of uh, the right fielder, which probably should have been caught. But he has played very little right field in his career. He's a first baseman, and he's a Gold Glove first baseman in the minor leagues. But he's playing right field because the Pirates are looking to see if he can play some outfield to add to his versatility. So that's why, again, uh, there was an inning in the game uh, yesterday that um, Drew Smiley was the starter. And he didn't get an out um, in the inning. And they rolled it over. And then he came back and started the next inning. And then he had to be relieved. So uh, he pitched in parts of three innings, but he only got three outs. So it, again, just goes to show you that you can't take much stock in a spring training game. As Alan Iverson said, it's practice. <laughs> and this year, it is pretty bizarre. I bounce around between a lot of games, more radio than than MLB TV. And uh, the rollovers that I happen to catch <laughs> this spring are that there are a lot. Yeah, and I think it's good. You know, I mean, I know Derek Shelton's talked about it, the Pirates manager, that you know, he likes the rule. And uh, the other managers, I think Tony LaRusa has said, I read that uh, he doesn't like it and is trying not to use it after he did use it a couple of times. But for the most part, um, you know, I think of the fans whenever there's a new rule and, and how will fans react. And if I'm, you know, paying some money to sit in seats, you know, I don't want to feel shortchanged. Uh, that a game is only going, say, five innings, which we won't see too many of, of those. Uh, we didn't, and uh, in a couple of days, uh, they won't be allowed to do it in that short uh, anymore. But also, uh, you know, the shortened innings, if it's your team at the bat, you, you like the Pirates were yesterday, they had three runs and they're looking for more. But again, you know, I think if if the rules are in place and they stay, which I think they would be good for spring training, then maybe... Hey, teams, uh, maybe knock off some bucks off the ticket prices uh, for spring trading a little bit. Make the fans, uh, you know, give, give them, throw them a bone too. say, hey, you know, look, this game may only be an hour and 40 minutes and five innings. And you may not even see 15 outs, but uh, we're going to cut you some, uh, some slack off the price, too, because you're just trying to be outside and have some fun and, and watch baseball again. You mentioned uh, throwing bones to fans. The Braves, of course, were throwing balls all over uh, the field yesterday. Shortly after a near Little League home run, you mentioned hearing uh, 
boy, let's see if I can pronounce this, this word right now, a calliope, I believe, and, and seeing a circus tent. Uh, <laughs> what I believe you didn't see yesterday was a working scoreboard. Is it, did I get that right? Yeah, I think they were having some problems. Uh, that happens, uh, especially in spring training. You, you kind of imagine that. But the balls and strikes uh, and the score uh, were not updated very often, or the outs. So my, uh, my cousin, a long time ago, he was uh, kind of a youth baseball umpire. And he gave me the counter, the clicker, you know, and uh, I was going to have that in my hand, but I didn't bring it to Florida this year. So I, I, I had done it in the past, but the scoreboards have gotten so good that I usually don't need it. But I probably needed it yesterday. So I was just I'd hold up my fingers, you know, as the home plate umpire would. And sometimes I'd forget to do it. But that's how I was re- remembering the counts. But uh, these are all the uh, magical things that broadcasters do just to serve you on a daily basis. Amen. <laughs> so at one point yesterday, Joe, the Braves brought in a new pitcher and your broadcast partner missed a home run because he was pouring through his notes trying to find the pitcher's name. Well, that's my fault. Um, yes, it I, was. <laughs> I, well, yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, well, I, I, you know, part of the fun, I remember hearing uh, Pat Hughes kind of turned me on to this. So Pat uh, is the Cubs broadcaster, been there a long time. Great, great, great broadcaster. And Pat, occasionally, like all of us, uh, if, if you don't, I knew who the pitcher was, but sometimes you don't, uh, especially in the years prior where minor league players would enter late in games and there might be two or three guys with the same uniform number and no name on the back. So there would be those occasions where you really wouldn't know. But I was just trying to have some fun along those lines. And uh, the Braves brought in A.J. Minter. And I was thinking to myself, you know, just like um, uh, sometimes last names uh, tell you uh, about what uh, profession uh, maybe an ancestor was. And I'm thinking, what would a minter be? And I said, it was so I called him A.J. Coinmaker, thinking that, uh, you know, maybe uh, you mint coins. And so that was just something that Bob and I, I was working with Bob Walk. You know, Bob and I like to have a little fun with each other and, and tease our minds uh, a little bit and uh, think kind of outside the box. We have uh, very tangential minds. So while I was doing that, there was a home run hit, and uh, we we were not on top of it because of uh, my uh, my hijinks. So that's okay. We made up for no, it. No, hijinks are good and entertaining listeners <laughs> during a blowout in a spring training game. And I believe the final yesterday was ten one. It's obviously a challenge. So you basically, I guess, put on your Bob Euchre hat at times, is, <laughs> is the way I saw it. Well, I got to work with Bob for uh, four years talking about Bob Euchre and Bob Walk. I get to work with all the time now. But yeah, I mean, it, the score in the spring training game doesn't reflect what's happening. And, you know, one of the things that um, that I was always told kind of growing up, so to speak, uh, in broadcasting was from the late, great Ernie Harwell, who was the Tigers broadcaster, Hall of Fame broadcaster for an, a number of years. And he said that every game, every play, every at bat, everything stands on its own. And, um, you know, uh, he, he called plenty of great Tigers teams and he and and other teams as well uh, and he called plenty of lousy teams and you think okay well if the team's poor in the standings or even if they're good but they're getting their hat handed to them uh, on a particular night no matter what you're seeing there's something there you know is what he's getting at and so I think in spring training you know the uh, the, the inquisitive mind that I have I I'm I'm, lo- I'm looking for things and it's usually not that hard to find if you're at least somewhat clued in uh, on what's taking place. And that is, do you know 
the game. What's the pitcher trying to do? What is the hitter trying to do? Uh, and you watch and you see. Uh, maybe it's nothing remarkable. Uh, maybe the defense is remarkable. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's something happening in the seats uh, that is worth noting, or the wind is picked up, or there's an aside or a story that uh, either I can get to, or better yet, uh, I can uh, tee up my partner for. Or maybe it's an adage from something that's happened earlier in the game or recapping something that happened earlier in the game. Because if you have a one-sided game, a lot has ha probably happened. So you can always do that. So there's, there's a lot in the, in the bag there to go to to talk about. So uh, believe it or not, when we have three hours and 10 minutes uh, of airtime, it doesn't seem like enough most nights. Sometimes it does. <laughs> Sometimes there are some games that drag, of course. But for most of the time, for me at least, I feel like I, I haven't even got in, you know, a, a small percentage of what I really wanted to say. And that's OK, because there will be another day. You mentioned Ernie Harwell. You grew up, Joe, in uh, the Detroit area, you know, listening to Ernie. And unless I'm mistaken, you actually met him in the Tiger Stadium bleachers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, there was a time in the 90s. Uh, the 1990s for our younger audience. At that time, Ernie was not doing radio. He had actually been fired by the Tigers. Uh, Unbelievably. Despicably so, yes. <laughs> and uh, when Mike Illich bought the club, he brought Ernie back, but he had had, you know, he had broadcasters under contract. He can't just, you know, uh, turn them aside either. So it worked him into some TV work. Uh, and he was occasionally on the, the TV broadcasts for a while until he resumed his radio role uh, later on in the decade. But for that time, there were a lot of games where he was not working. So come to find out, sometimes he'd sit in the upper deck center field bleachers at Tiger Stadium. And uh, he was there just keeping score. And me and a whole you know crew of buddies, uh, we had, I went to Michigan State, and we had a really close group that particular year on our floor. We lived in the dorms, and I don't know, it was probably about 15, 18 of us came down. It was about a two-hour drive or hour-and-a-half drive. And, you know, it was, it was dollar seats back then. You know, Tigers weren't very good. Uh, it's an old ballpark. They're going to build a new ballpark. They just wanted some, some, you know, people to buy beer. So we obliged, and the beer was cheap, too, so... It was it was worth the drive. So yeah, so it was great. Uh, and I, I go down there with another buddy and introduce myself. And Ernie, of course, couldn't have been more kind and 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 seemed interested in what I had to say, even though it makes no sense why he would want to do that. But he did. And over time, uh, through Dan Dickerson, who I was very lucky, uh, he's the Tigers broadcaster now. I, I was very lucky to meet him because his wife was my journalism professor at Michigan State. And it was her first year teaching, and I just happened to get her in the class. So I meet Dan, and Dan uh, you know, fortifies my relationship with Ernie, too. And Dan and I have been friends you know, since, since that time for, what, 20, almost 25 years now. And, and Ernie and I uh, got to be, uh, I would say, friends. And, and I could call him and ask him for advice, and we'd get together when I was uh, visiting my folks back in Detroit. And you know, he gave me a lot of very good advice and, and, and a lot of kindness and support, too. So... I was very, very lucky to have gotten to know him a little bit while he was still working, too. Len Casper, who is also a Michigan native, has moved from Cubs TV to White Sox radio, in part because he loves baseball on the radio. Inexplicably, I think was a word you just used a few minutes ago. 
inexplicably, the Blue Jays are scrapping radio and doing a simulcast from TV. That sounds pretty challenging for a broadcaster. I, I don't know how you do it. Now, I don't know all the, the details, what Rogers is doing. It's hard to, for me, sitting in an apartment uh, here in Bradenton, Florida, to you know pound the gavel and, and rule on what decisions they're making. But as a baseball fan, especially with an exciting Blue Jays team, you know they've invested some money in some free agents uh, to add to that nice uh, young core, and and you know they made that expanded playoffs last year. I would think a lot of people would want to be able to listen. And I think Jerry Howarth, uh, the longtime Jays voice, said it best when when he was asked about it that you know the the, the nights of uh, or the days of, of you know taking uh, taking uh, folks out on a you know the, the the mom and the son or the father and the son and the daughter or whatever going out on the lake and and fishing and listening to the ball game or maybe you're out in the driveway washing the car and and you got the ball game with you and and now yes I guess you can just take your phone out and uh, they have an excellent television broadcast crew uh, but I thought they had an excellent radio crew too. Ben Wagner is one of the finest radio broadcasters we've got in Major League Baseball, and he's muted right now. But I, I, think, uh, I think it robs fans. And anytime that you're taking something away from fans, you better have a really good reason. And I'm not sure they do. No, I don't think they do either. And fans, of course, will still be able to listen. It's just a matter of you are going to have Dan Schulman, who is yet another great broadcaster, mm-hmm. is, is going to have to call TV baseball and radio baseball at the same time, which to me is impossible. You have to cheat uh, a listener on one end or the other. Yeah, because, um, and, and I do both for the Pirates. So um, I think it's a, a good question, Dave, that when I'm on television, I, I talk, first of all, I talk a lot less, which everybody can rejoice about. Yes, <laughs> but it, it's a completely different medium. And how are you going to queue up graphics or, or video elements and things that you would lay out for side, side explanations and stories? Um, for instance, we're, we're going to do a lot more work in studio. We're going to kind of bring in the studio this year during games to have a third person to explain, talk about social distancing, right? You know, <laughs> you know, uh, he's over in Pittsburgh and we're over here, you know, uh, but, uh, we're, you know, to try to break down certain things, uh, elements of the game. And you can't do that on radio. You, you have to, you have to give them the, every pitch really, or just about every pitch. And if you do that on television, you're really weighing down what's happening and you're and you're stealing all those other things you know uh, the analyst can't expound or you, you, you know, I just I, I, I just think you can't do both it's really really impossible to do either well if you try to meld them together and, and maybe they'll find that out and another broadcaster who does things well who is now in Los Angeles is Tim Neverett who I, I believe you took his job kind of take is the right word you replaced him in the booth in Pittsburgh. Which of these three people, Joe, is most likely to take your job someday? Stephen Brault, Cole Tucker, or Jacob Stallings? Oh, wow, that's great. Well, I don't. Well, I can't say that because some ex-players do um, have play-by-play jobs, and I feel that I'm young enough that I probably won't be out the door by the time they broadcast. But I get your drift, and here's what I think: um, I think Stallings is going to manage um, or coach. 
Um, he said so. So I think he'll stay uh, in, uh, in uniform. So I'm going to cross him off the list. I think Cole, obviously, is such a special person in terms of he's so kind and he's just he's a beautiful person. I really want to say that. Like it's he's a gr- just a great human being and he can do anything he wants. I hope he can hit. <laughs> and I and I think he needs a little time. He he got called up too fast in 2019 and really got he never got enough time at AAA, I think. Maybe that's going to come this year and then uh, he'll be a big leaguer to stay for a long time. So I, I think if he establishes himself as a, as a good major league player for a while, the sky's the limit for him afterward, whatever he wants to do. You know, uh, broadcasting could be part of it. And I'm, I'm leaving Brault last. Steven will be a broadcaster. He wants to be a broadcaster. I think he's going to pitch in the big leagues for a while. So we got some time. But he is so immensely talented. Obviously, we, we know about the singing and his musical ability. He is so fun to be around, thoughtful and funny. So uh, he really could be an excellent broadcaster. And actually, I was just thinking about him a little bit earlier because we're coming up. In fact, when this uh, when this comes out, it will be the one year anniversary of uh, the game that it, it was uh, myself and, and John Wayner and Brault were in the booth. And that was the morning after Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19 and the NBA had shut down and, and we all knew that baseball was going to shut itself down probably during the game. And we're on the air and, and you know, Brault is cheerful, but there was such a pall obviously, you know, cast over us uh, because it felt like the pandemic was, was looming and, and it was, and uh, we didn't know how s- severe, obviously, it would be. But it was so strange to have Brault up there. But he somehow mastered the mood, when to kind of quip, but also when to be serious and you know reflect on, uh, from a player perspective, hey, this may be the last game we're playing for a very long time. And he was able to sense all that, which is remarkable because I'm thinking to myself, if it's any other player than him, I'm going to tell him that, you know, we don't want you today. This is too serious of a matter right now. To But he got it and he was excellent. So I think that just underscores that, you know, if he wants to be a broadcaster in 10, 12, 15 years, I hope the Pirates have him because that means I get a chance to, to see him around even more. Right. He could be your, your broadcast partner. Sure. Once, uh... Bob is a little bit older than than either of you. I'm not trying to kick Bob out of the booth, certainly. If you're listening, Bob, that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, Bob, Bob he will tell you yeah, in uh, 10, 12 years, he'll be he'll be gone. He'll be up up north at, at his cabin. And, you know, he'll be uh, he'll be saying sayonara. So <laughs> and we will need fine. to say sayonara here fairly soon. I do want to hit you with a few more things we should touch on on the team. Charismatic players aside, and there are more than simply Tucker Broughton and Stallings, Willie Stargell is not going to bat cleanup. Roberto Clemente is not going to play right field. Just what does this team look like this year? The short version. You don't yeah. need to give me the entire, yeah. entire well, rundown. Well, no, I know. I'm not going to break you know all 26 spots down for you. But I, I think one thing we're going to see offensively is that this team is going to put bat to ball. And... I was listening to Alan Zinter, who is the Reds hitting coach, talk on their broadcast this afternoon about he is stressing to the Reds hitters, which were very all or nothing last year. Hit a lot of home runs, but I didn't verify this, but he said they were dead last in singles, doubles, and triples. And he wants them to lower the launch angle. He wants them to put the ball in play more. And I do think that's going to be a baseball-wide trend. 
And hearing him talk about that just alerted me to that, whether the ball is the influence or whether it's just the the pendulum nature of of sport, I think that's coming in baseball. And the Pirates are already doing that. And I think, you know, we talk about small market teams trying to find the inefficiency. Well, I think the Pirates are going to be offensively challenged. They were dead last in run scored last year. They're, They're going to be better, I think, than that because of their style of hitting. And it just depends on a lot of guys returning to career norms like a lot of teams after that, uh, you know, strange 2020 baseball season. Um, Pitching-wise, I think they're going to hang hang in there too. And uh, they weren't that bad pitching-wise last year. They've got enough arms that they can rotate and, and get some outs. And I think that's going to be the theme in 21, obviously, is, you know, who's got 22 pitchers that they can use to get outs because we're going to see that. It doesn't matter who's in your five-man rotation. It's, you know, who are the 12 starters you're going to use to get 9 to 15 outs for, you know, 20 starts this year uh, or less. So I think that's going to be fine. Uh, look at, uh, I like David Bednar to pitch late, maybe to close. He's looked excellent. That's not from Sheltie. That's from me. So when I'm wrong, you can blame me for it. But uh, he stood out. Key Brian Hayes uh, will walk away with the rookie of the year and be an all-star. And, you know, he's he's shown nothing but exactly what he had last year in the field and at the plate. So so steady as they come, and one of the great young players in the game of baseball. I really think he's 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 there, and with without a lot of flash, which is fun. He's just really fundamentally sound. So um, uh, we're going to look at Hayes. He's going to be the star, and I think there's going to be some other players that'll either return to form or or uh, start to ascend. And then, of course, the wave will be coming in in future years to to make this organization uh, be a very viable playoff contender, and hopefully, much more than that in uh, in the coming seasons. Did I make it under the uh, under the uh, sixty second rule there, or what? What did you need from me, Dave? Oh man, we were close, Joe. Ah, you know, you you did make it. Two more things. I was going to ask you specifically about Key Brian Hayes. Is he the best player on this Pirates team, or is it premature to put that label on him? I don't like to say best because I think when you think of all the guys that are playing, you know, there are guys that are better at things than others. You know, they're they're better at one aspect than Hayes is at this or what have you. But in terms of all-around player, he's one of the best all-around players in Major League Baseball. So, you you know, you take that for what it's worth. He's certainly one of the top three defensive third basemen, if not the best, today. And in terms of his hitting ability, he's not going to lead the league in home runs. He probably won't lead in slugging percentage, although I think he'll probably be in the top 10 in the National League this year. But when you look at the way that he plays the game, there are a few guys I think that you would prefer not to face. You want to avoid facing if you're a pitcher. Is that what I'm saying? With the game on the line. And because you got a hole open on the right side, uh, the first baseman's holding on the runner, he's going to smack it through the right side and get a base hit. And, you know, I mean, it's like one out, I mean, first and third. Instead of the fly ball, he's going to try to hit it the other way. It's either going to be in the air or it's going to be on the ground through the hole. So stuff like that. And he does that all the time. And like every single time he does it, <laughs> he doesn't not do it. It's crazy. So I, I just really like to see him play baseball. And uh, it's not to disparage any other Pirates, but he's one of the best complete players, uh, most complete players in Major League Baseball, let alone the Pirates. I'll put it that way. You are a fan. I'm a huge fan of his. I love watching him play. 
And we are all fans, I think, people who listen to Pirates games of Joe Block, but they're also fans of Bob Walk. A little alliteration there. Let's close <laughs> with a Bob Walk story. You, ha- you have to have Bob Walk stories. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, uh, the, the, I, I wish that there was a broadcast of what we talk about between innings uh, because we can get on some real wild tangents sometimes and it's fun. But uh, the best thing, and, and Pirates fans know this, is they, they made a bobble chair doll after Bob's uh, mishap a few years back. I think we were in Seattle and uh, John Wayner and I are on w- one side. We are on the TV. Yeah, we we're doing TV. And then Greg Brown and, and, and Walkie are on the, the radio side. And we sat on risers. And so all of a sudden we hear this big thump and it shook us. And we're thinking, is this an earthquake? Because we're out west, you know. And then it stopped. And then we hear laughter because there's just kind of a partition wall, not a real thick wall between the, the TV and radio announcers. And so we, we come to find out uh, they had they had <laughs> camera on it. And so they were able to see Bob lean back and fall because they occasionally on the TV broadcast will show whoever's on radio, whether it's me or Brownie and, and then our partner, because maybe we've referenced them or something. And sure enough, Bob thinks, okay, they're showing me, I'm going to just kick back and relax. I think, oh, because he got something right. That's what it was. He had predicted something before the game and he got it right. So I think John Wayner was giving him props for that. And he leans back in his chair and he's got his socks on, no shoes, because he doesn't wear shoes when he's on the radio. He just wears socks. And then he kicked back and, and you see him fall backward and <laughs> on live television. <laughs> and Rock and I are crying because it's just so funny. And everybody else, I'm sure, was laughing along with us. So you got to see that. He, he, did, he then sticks up his thumb. Thumbs up. You could just see his, his arm come from you know, behind the table there. He's okay. And uh, we all had a big chortle for that one. It was really funny. Fantastic. I assume you do wear shoes in your broadcast? I wear them all the time. Even to sleep at night, all the time I wear shoes. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and in this pandemic world, hopefully you also wear pants when you're working. Yes, yes. Full legs. And no one wants to see these gams, I'll tell you that. Hey, a lot of us don't wear pants anymore, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dave, too much. That is too much. So perfect way to end. Once again, that was Joe Block. I am David Lorela. Joe, thank you very much for your time. Oh, I'm flattered to be invited. Thanks, Fangraphs. Hello, this is Jay Jaffe for Fangraphs Audio. Last Friday, the baseball world saw something it hadn't seen in nearly three years, the sight of Shohei Otani making a Cactus League start. It didn't count in the record books, of course, but it was significant nonetheless. In each of the past two springs, Otani was in the midst of rehabilitating an injury to the point that he couldn't pitch, coming off his late 2018 Tommy John surgery in the spring of 2019, and then recovering from patellar surgery and finishing up his Tommy John rehab last spring before the coronavirus pandemic shut down camps. On Friday, he was returning from yet another injury, a flexor pronator mass strain that he suffered while making just his second start back from surgery. But this time around, he was unburdened by the usual concerns that come with rehab. Facing the A's, against whom he'd struggled so mightily in his first outing last summer, he allowed three hits, walked two, and gave up a run, but all five batters he retired came via strikeouts. He blew high-heat fastballs by Mark Canna and Matt Olson, and showed off an absolutely filthy splitter while striking out offensive threat Mitch Moreland and two other players. 
It was no gem, and sometime soon it will be regarded as merely a footnote rather than a milestone, but it felt huge. And it stirred up a lot of thoughts among the Fangraph staff and its readers. On Monday, colleague R.J. McDaniel and I both published pieces about Otani's return. Mine was from a more analytical perspective on what we might expect from Otani this year as he rebounds from a disastrous 2020 in which he pitched just twice and could barely get anybody out, while his offensive performance collapsed as well. R.J.'s piece was on a more existential level, flashing back to Otani at a few key moments of his career, from when he was excelling at age 21 in Japan, to this spring, when he's a ripe old 26. And now, here to talk with me about their piece and about Otani is RJ. Welcome to the show, RJ. Thank you for having me, Jay. I'm very excited <laughs> to be here on Fangrass Audio. Good. How's the spring going for you? It's going, honestly, in terms of contrast to the winter, like exceptionally well. As I imagine, it feels for Otani being able to hit a home run after a season where he said he only had one good swing the entire season. <laughs> Well, wow, I hadn't, I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard that quote, but that's that's great. Yeah, he it was it was a rough it was a rough year for all of us, but it was a rougher year for for Otani than for than for many of us. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a great interview actually that I only actually discovered after I wrote my piece. Ben Lindbergh linked it in a piece he did because everybody's on the Otani beat because we're right. just desperate for good news. Uh, yeah, he did it with the Kyoto News. Okay. And he he described his 2019 season as the most disappointing year ever, and he described his 2020 season as pathetic, which is really <laughs> quite sad. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I mean, I know athletes are hard on themselves, and 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 you know are, are are perhaps their own worst critics. But yeah, looking at the numbers, it's not hard to disagree with Otani. I mean, yes, he was playing at the highest level available. But boy, there's there's just no way to paint a pretty picture on on his struggles on either side of the ball. And, you know, for all of us, I think, who've, who've kind of uh, invested that extra bit of emotion in hopes of seeing something that just is, you know, unprecedented in our lifetimes, it, it hurt for all of us. Yeah, like pathetic was definitely the right word, because in 2019, <laughs> you have the element of like, it's disappointing that he's just not able to pitch because he's coming off the surgery. But in 2020, the pathetic, like coming from that Greek root of pathos, it really was like you genuinely felt bad for him up there. And right. those those two starts that he made, like really abbreviated starts, were just a struggle to watch. And it's such a contrast between the excitement that he generated during like the first few weeks and the first few months of his MLB career, or even way back when in 2016, seems like ages ago, when he was in Japan just doing totally unheard of things at right. the age of only 21. So it, that's kind of like what I got into in my piece, because like my entry point was... I I saw and heard, as of, did all of us, of Otani hitting that huge homer over the batter's eye, which is actually his first spring training home run. As I know. I was leader. amazed at that. I was yeah. amazed at that. I was amazed. Like, like, wait, we haven't seen this before? Hold on. You know. Yeah. It's, just, it's easy how it all blurs together. <laughs> yeah. And then and then I saw, I saw the element where he was pitching much better. He struck out five guys, which is, you know, it wasn't a great outing, but... It was better than what had happened in his previous outings last season. And so what 
What what I ended up doing was looking back at the footage of his first home run in the major leagues. And it was this amazing video that somebody took, like, embedded out in the stands where the Angels play. And it just sparked this surge of emotion in me because it seemed like it was so long ago. It was only it was only three years ago, obviously. But the contrast between, first of all, the stadium being full of people and it it being this situation where nobody really knew exactly what to expect from him he struggled in spring training as was well publicized there were a lot of there were a lot of concerns especially about his ability as a batter to be able to thrive in the major leagues and the yeah. video it was like bringing back to a place where like we haven't been able to go collectively as a society for a while now because of this pandemic. But it's also a place where he hasn't been able to be for a while. And I I was just kind of blown away by the way we made up this entire sport just to have a reason to celebrate and be close together. And Otani is the the dream of Otani, the two-way player doing these things that we've never seen done before, is just another like manifestation of this drive for us to be closer together with each other. And it's something that seems so distant, but in in these moments when we're like in quarantine, when we're experiencing this terrible loss, as so many of us have over the past year. But to be able to look at Otani and see this and see in him hitting a spring training home run over the batter's eye, this memory of a few years ago, when when it did that kind of thing did seem real, if only for a second, uh, it was right. just really powerful to me. Is especially in this time we're heading into spring, like we're hoping that it'll be a different kind of year, that it won't be so sad, basically, because it was just really really a sad year, twenty twenty, but. I, I'm hoping, regardless of how, how Otani does, I'm grateful, and I'm sure a lot of other people are, to get this opportunity to watch and dream of him doing something in baseball that would be so amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, there's so there's so much there, you know, that I want to touch on, but I think you you, you touch several bases there. You know, the, first of all, I think I f- it felt like there was the one parallel that stuck out to me in our pieces, despite, the, you know, that we came to them from very different places, is, you know, we spent a lot of time both reassuring our readers that Otani is capable of these this virtually unprecedented high-profile combination of skills. And it felt like, you know, to some extent, we're also, I think, trying to reassure ourselves. That, Look, I saw this. I know I saw this. Here's the numbers. Here's the, here's the footage. We've seen this before. We know it can happen. And we have evidence that it happened and that it can happen again. It just takes a little bit of good luck in the health department. And at this moment, you know, we have this ray of sunshine, this break in the clouds here where it looks like, hey, we might actually get this in here. You know, baseball is proceeding. Otani is back on the mound. Otani is hitting home runs over the, you know, over the batter's eye that, yeah, you know, we got a shot at getting this in here. So, you know that that really struck me when 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 I was reading your piece after I after I'd published mine and knowing that that we had two pieces on the subject coming and that just because you know we we come we we come to these topics at, from from very different angles and you know I can't write the way you can and I'm always appreciative of 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 the way that you capture you know capture things and and it was um, so I thought they complemented themselves well not to uh, to use a Kevin Goldstein phrase not to wax your car too much here <laughs> but there was that and and then I was sort of also struck by the 
by the different reactions to the piece that that we got, I generally don't dwell in the comment section of my piece or, or or any of our pieces, mostly because I have to move on to the next thing rather than get bogged down in the minutia of debating points that I've already made. But the first comment in my piece was something to the effect of, I don't ask for much in life, but please can we just see one complete two-way season from Otani? And it got like 50 thumbs up from subsequent readers of of, of the column. And, and I, it's the kind of agreement that I, I feel like we never see on this site. Like, we all agree on this. We are all unanimous on this, practically. And I don't know, of course, more than 50 people read the piece, I assume. But, you know, it was just this very positive response. And then I looked down and to jump off the hype train until he picks pitching or hitting. And I was like, no, you missed the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how like coming from a a different angle. I think I think what your piece did well and that's that's something that's one of your strengths that I don't necessarily have as a writer. Uh it was very much grounded in the reality of what was happening and what has been happening with Otani. And so I think there's kind of a a balancing impulse that often goes on where if if it's really grounded in reality and we're acknowledging how unlikely it is for this kind of stuff to happen with somebody like Otani, who I think it's safe to say most baseball fans want to see him succeed, that the impulse is to say, yes, you know, let's go. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter as much that it's not it, it may not be likely, but it can happen, you know, uh, whereas mine is going kind of like a, off in a more lyrical direction where where the impulse would be to ground it in reality and be like, what are you talking about? Right. But yeah, I think there there has been some discussion of getting off the Otani hype train or that the hype train itself is a distraction from like from from the reality of who he is as a player and who he would be most effective as a major league player and that's something in Ben Lindbergh's piece that I think he he got at pretty well is that this this very much seems like it could be a pivotal year for the Otani hype train like the Otani two-way dream because If this year, 2020, you can, to some extent, write off because it was so strange and abbreviated and it was in a pandemic and he had the injury stuff going on and blah, blah, blah. Like, there was a lot going on, as was true for pretty much everybody. But in in 2021, we're going to have a full season. He says he's feeling really healthy, like, based on the few snippets, like, spring training, grain of salt. It seems like he has the capability physically once again, to be able right. to get back to that place. And so if, as he, he's now, you know, as you said, the ripe old age of 26, <laughs> getting older, <laughs> if this year goes badly, or if this year s- substantiates like another kind of breakdown of his like ability, or he suffers another really bad injury, and just for any reason isn't able to play that much, I think it will be kind of devastating for the two-way dream. Like, I think I think that this year really could be the the defining moment. And that's why, for me, it's all the more important to, like, if this is such a wonderful thing for baseball, and if this is such a wonderful thing for us to experience, then I think it's all the more important for us to kind of grab on to 
what we can have, you know, right. like to the extent that it's rooted in reality, we can see with our own eyes the kind of power that he's capable of and the kind of pitching that he's capable of in these little fragmentary snippets in spring training. And as long as we can enjoy that and as long as we can sustain this belief without it being completely contradicted by the reality of life, then I think it's worth doing. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, we're talking about a guy who, you know, if you if you look at the things he he can do and what he has done, and you know, the indicators of just like you know maximum exit velocity or maximum fastball velocity, he's in the top one percentile in both of those things, and, and you know, in, in among major leaguers, to say nothing of all professional players. I mean, why wouldn't you at least try that if you can? You know, if push comes to shove, if the injuries don't allow it, either he becomes, a you know, a pitcher uh, and focuses on that and maybe occasionally gets a few hacks in and, you know, in kind of a, you know, pinch hitting capacity, but he's de-emphasizing that so as to maximize his availability on the mound. Or he's, you know, an outfielder DH who maybe makes an emergency mop-up appearance in, in an 18-1 to 1 game two years from now, but otherwise is, is you know, kind of a young David Ortiz or Nelson Cruz type in the making, which, you know, hey, fine, that's, I'm, you're, you're going to make millions of dollars that way, you're probably, you know, maybe you're going to be an all-star, but you're never going to be that same, you know, rare butterfly uh, that's talked about in these in these it, it's 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 the Bo Jackson thing actually is what it is. You know, I know you're too young to remember Bo Jackson firsthand, but Bo Jackson was able to just I mean he was the most dynamic football player I've ever seen for the short time that he could do it, and then he was just this incredible collection of raw tools, you know that that came forth on the baseball field. But you know really I think was kind of a was kind of a mess because uh, he you know he a lot of swing and miss in his game uh, a lot of you know lack of refinement that would have been there had be, had he been focusing only on one sport but it's like this is so cool he can do both of these things he can be awesome at both these things you want to watch the highlights of both of these things even if it's not perfect and then he got hurt and then it all sucked and and you know now we we you know people of my age you know, talk about Bo Jackson with a reverence and that's reserved for the, the you know, the legends that uh, you might not understand except for some sepia tone footage or whatever and, and all that. And I feel like, as you said, we have we have to appreciate this while it's still around. And, and maybe this is the last gasp. Yeah, I mean, the Bo Jackson example is great because even even though, as you say, I'm too young to have actually witnessed him firsthand, people of my generation and people who are interested in sports in my generation still talk about Bo Jackson with that reverence that you mentioned. And so for Otani, yeah, maybe it all blows up this year. Like maybe, maybe it really just becomes totally evident that it's not going to work. And he, both he and the team accept that he's going to have to pick one or the other. I mean that if that happens that happens it's it's not for lack of trying and it's not really if it's injury it's not really something anybody could control but I think overall we it was worth having tried it in the first place like it was worth having him be on both sides of the ball even for just that one home run that I watched that video of of those people in the stands just absolutely losing their damn minds like <laughs> nobody who was there is gonna forget that moment and I think that 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 it was worth happening for that right yeah I, I you know it's funny through all these ups and downs it just it, it occurred to me I wonder how much of this type of stuff was talked through when Otani was deciding on on which team 
he would join, you know, a few years ago in the winter of 2017, 2018. And, and you know, every team or practically what felt like every team was making presentations to him. Like how much of this dealt with like, you know, these kind of maybe not worst case scenarios, but these are we've, we've, we've kind of veered into worst case scenario territory. But like, you know, the commitment, I, I really do, you know, the Angels organization has been a, has been a mess and they've made all kinds of ill-fated decisions over the last few years, you know, going back to the Pujols contract and some of their other free agent choices and the fact that they just have not been able to assemble a playoff caliber team around the, you know, the best player of our lifetimes here in, in Mike Trout. But they have stuck to this commitment to Otani in a way that I am pleasantly surprised by because it feels like other teams might have pressured him into into making making that choice of you know kid you can only do one and we gotta you know we we gotta muck this you know stop mucking around and get a, get the right return on our investment here no they're they're actually going for it they're still going for it and I, I I appreciate that and you know but it's I but I do wonder how much of this was it was in the was in the original plan you know for better or for worse that like even if this happens you know we're still going to stick by you for this be interesting to see you know if we ever learn more about that as the years go on yeah i have to imagine it it played a part in the discussions because he's always been very clear that doing the two-way thing is something that he really wants to do and is important to him and and also the fact that he didn't have to go to the major leagues and that's that's something he's kind of expressed in in interviews right. is that he thinks it's a great thing that there's a robust like healthy appealing Japanese baseball league that's that's playing at a high level enough to and getting enough money in that they can attract like high level players who aren't from Japan and he was such a superstar and was just doing so well that he really like if he could have stayed in Japan I think and I I don't think any team would have said no to him trying to continue to do the the two-way thing but he wanted to come do this in the major leagues and see if it could be done and something I've watched a lot of his interviews and something that he really seems to value and hold as important is, set an, is setting an example for a new generation of Japanese players uh, and for anybody who might be looking up to him. And so I have to imagine that holding to the principle of wanting to, to try this and to commit to this as long as it's possible had to have been important to him when he was talking with the Angels and deciding on which major league team he was going to commit to. Yeah, that's a good. That's that's interesting. I I've I've not you know for for one reason or another I've not really caught up, especially over the last couple of years. It's just sort of out of sight, out of mind. Especially you know when a guy's rehabbing, everything is so everything is so fraught. You know, talking about the you know what went wrong out there, uh, you know, or how you're feeling, things like that. But the, just the bigger picture stuff, and and you know, obviously he's working with a translator and all that, and I just haven't caught up with it. But I'm I'm, I'm glad you've. Uh, uh, you help you help to catch me up there. That's that's good. The last thing I wanted to talk about that that, that struck me and and I, you you got to this earlier here was you know the, where you're writing about uh, uh, watching Otani in isolation through your little window of pixels and I just you know and and, and talking about and writing about all you know that that he's lost and all that we've lost lives and time over, especially over the last year and and just the power of 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 shared experience is something that we, you know, I think we don't get as often anymore, especially, you know, even pre-pandemic. But now we are, I think, because so many of us are still all at home. We're not at spring training, watch, you know, getting to watch Otani. 
we are kind of focused on this, uh, you know, this little interface from our, you know, still isolated selves. Although I think we're, you know, coming out of that and uh, increasing numbers sometimes to the point of recklessness here um, uh, in certain pockets, Texas, and looking at you. But I, I don't know. There's there's something about that 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 really resonated with me, and I was thinking. You know, getting back to the comments uh, and and the 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 agreement that that we saw in some of them, that yeah, this is something that that I think can bring us together. That we are, you know, so many of us are rooting for this to happen and to reach into our homes, our and our little isolated pods to give us a boost as 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 we you know as as we cheer him on and as we uh, hope that he can achieve this uh, just you know fascinating and unprecedented combination. Yeah. <laughs> trailing <laughs> off but i think it's reaching because it, it's it's got a global reach to it i mean you know tani's just not just a a u.s phenomenon he is a global phenomenon because he has obviously has a following at home and you know it's not like there's in all likelihood there's probably not a championship at stake for the for the angels it's just you know we're invested in this because we want to see this rare greatness here and you know hopefully get to share it with each other at a time when we're, we you know, unfortunately not getting to share very many other things. Yeah, I mean, something that kind of, there was a resonance, I think, between the experience of watching Otani now, and I guess for me specifically at the beginning of 2018, I was like, I was not, for various reasons, not really able to, to do a lot of stuff other than kind of sit inside and watch mm -hmm. my little baseball tweets roll in. And there was just something so invigorating and special about even when you're physically or like financially incapable of actually getting into a lot of these collective experiences that we value so much. It was it was like on the, on the timeline. It was just twenty four seven Otani lockdown. Like it was amazing <laughs> to just see so many people all celebrating the same thing, all, like all watching the same game. It's kind of what people love so much about when it's the world series and and every right. all of us are watching the same game at the same time because it's so rare because of time zones because of different fan yes. allegiances yeah and so that kind of thing is just really special when it can strike at any moment and any moment somebody might do something that causes us all to just take a moment and step back and say wow like that that is incredible and yeah, like right now, still here, here up in Canada, the vaccination is kind of going slowly and our province is still like limited gatherings. We aren't supposed mm -hmm. to go visit other households. And so it's really just this is the connection I have to this whole world of baseball that has just been gone for the past entire year or more. And it's it's heartening. It warms the heart. And it, it really is like a reminder of what can be possible hopefully once again in in at some point in the the not so distant future yeah i think that's well put well put well i think on that note we all have something to look forward to in watching otani right now and keeping our fingers crossed that this rare dream can stay afloat here for you know another week another month another season and hopefully longer than that RJ, thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts uh, with with me on Shohei. It was it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It was really wonderful. For Fangraphs Audio, I'm Jay Jaffe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank 
This has been Fangraphs Audio. If you enjoy the program, you can help us out by telling somebody about it and spreading the word. We will be back next week with another episode. Have a good weekend.